welcome back to Meaningful Play. Uh, this episode is all about the gaming lifestyle, mm. and I've said that in air quotes, even though you can't see me, because it's probably a bit charged. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I this, this topic was something that you were really keen mm. to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to getting stuff into it, because it's something that is, I guess, in many ways, slightly closer to Sean's mm. field of research than mine, something you've done a bit more work in, mm. I guess, broadly speaking. Um, but also there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about mm. this topic too. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And I think we were saying that there's like no way we can cover this whole topic in, in an hour, an hour and a half. No. So we're just going to pick the bits that we're interested in right now and yeah. then maybe um, talk in a later episode. Yeah. Talk about some other there's stuff. heaps you can always go on about. And I think for me, it kind of came to mind because I was getting frustrated fitting mm. games into my lifestyle yeah. and was kind of like, oh, well, hang on, how do we do this now as adults, now most players are adults, la di da da yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, first, maybe we'll chat about what we've been up to lately. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, what about you, Heather? What have I been up to? Um, well, this week, this week has been nice. Um, it's the International Degra Conference has mm. been on. This week, um, and I gave a little talk at the Fashion and Games Workshop yes. on Monday, which is Monday night for me. Um, it's in, the conference is in beautiful Seville, and I attended online <laughs> as the ghost in the machine, but that's that's fine. Um, I was happy I was happy to be able to do that, because mm. it's, it's a long way from here, so it's nice to have that option. Um, yeah, so what I talked about, I talked about um, something that I've spoken and written about a little bit before, uh, which is looking at beauty brand campaigns in video games, particularly in Animal Crossing, but long term I want to look mm. a little bit outside of that. But yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was it was nice. It was nice to be able to sort of meet some scholars who I hadn't met before mm. and yeah, I feel hopefully that group sort of continues on. Mm. Um, yeah, and then... So, so your hmm. goal for the paper is to sort of talk about the like kind of grand language that companies use when they talk about the potential of advertising in games. Correct. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's it's very it's still very nascent. Sure, <laughs> but, um, sure. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Something that I want to look at is is language, mm-hmm. essentially, and how how these brands are talking about games, as you said, and the kind of um, ideals about games, perhaps, that are being suggested or communicated by that way and I've looked at I've looked at brands but I've also looked a little bit at how influencers and like <laughs> streamers and stuff talk about um, beauty products and streaming and all that kind of thing because that's really interesting as well obviously a lot of them are uh, in some ways employed by these brands to speak yes. a certain way so there is there is um, yeah things to think about there <laughs> as well uh, yeah and then the other it would have been like a good fortnight for interesting conferences. Yeah, yeah. Last week was the game symposium for Oceania and the Asia Pacific. That was in Melbourne, I believe. Yes, I think and so, yeah. Yeah, we both watched that one online as well, which was really nice. And it was a collaboration between Degra Australia, Chinese Degra, and Pride at Play. Uh, it was good. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I think there were lots of interesting topics. I really liked hearing from people who were doing research on Chinese games and yeah. players in China. I yeah. thought that was such a... Because we've, we've talked a bit, mm-hmm. not to be too fangirly, we've talked a bit about Genshin mm-hmm. Impact and yeah. how, like, 
there are some rules, censorship kind of rules, yep. about what they're allowed to have in games yep. and what they're not allowed. And that stuff has, I've just been finding it fascinating lately. And there was yeah. some talks that kind of touched on related issues and I just found it incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Like, uh, there was one that I think you particularly enjoyed as well about um, like uh, Chinese game designers sort of instead of sort of relying on government funding, they're sort of making their own communities and mm. there's, a, there's some effort to sort of protect each other if there are issues of licensing and stuff. Yes, and, yeah. No, there, yeah. Was, there was, there was a, quite a few really great um, scholars from China and Hong Kong mm. speaking, which was, which was, yeah, which was awesome because, like, regionally, obviously, it's close to Australia mm. and, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting work. And something that I really appreciated about that event as well is they had... Um, sort of live translation, so... It was very cool, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really well organized, and it was nice that some of the talks that were in Chinese, they you could switch your channel mm. to the translated channel, and, yeah, I I mean, it was free as well, which is crazy. It was absolutely brilliant, it to be really honest. It was really well done. Because I have to admit, no, like, not throwing shade to Digra, but I think, <laughs> like, it's... I get it, like, yeah, it's a big yeah. conference. But for me, as someone who doesn't have funding at the moment, yeah. to participate online, it would be at least like two three hundred Australian dollars yeah, and that's, yeah. yeah like it's hard right so like it, it is yeah. it is brilliant to be able to hear some of these talks and they had a discord which was really mm-hmm. nice yeah. and you can sort of connect with people because um, sometimes there's a lot of barriers to doing that yeah yeah no it's good and I think um, yeah it's coordinating all that technology is mm. challenging the session I was on at Degra in Seville um, there was a little bit of tech problems mm. at the start and throughout and completely like normal things to yeah. happen but mm. what was um, and it, it wasn't a problem like I was still able to talk and talk to other people and everything like that but um, what was yeah what was very impressive about um, the symposium was it was kind of flawless like nothing yeah, seemed they did to go really well particularly wrong if really. anyone's listening good job yeah. <laughs> we're very <Well> impressed <laughs> Uh, very much appreciated um, from us over in WA. <laughs> we were able to basically feel like we were there. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was very cool. I think, um, yeah, the highlights, I, there, there were lots of interesting talks. So not to say anyone's better or worse, but mm. at least for me, the highlights were what Sean was talking about, particularly hearing people who were working on like curatorship and exhibition mm. of games. Yeah, there was a lot of that, actually. Yeah, yeah, both in Australia and China, a little bit in the US as well. Um, Yang Jing was someone I hadn't mm. come across her work before, but it was awesome. So um, good. And we might put the link to her website yeah. in the show mm. notes as well, because, yeah, really, really cool work internationally, obviously, mm. like in China and Hong Kong, but also doing work in the US and stuff mm. like that to do with exhibiting games, and particularly exhibiting Chinese games or mm. Chinese language games. Um, and I also really enjoyed uh, hearing about Xavier Ho's work, who yeah. was one of the organisers and who's sort of one of the main people behind the Pride at Play exhibition on in Melbourne at the moment. Um, yeah, and Xavier's research is on queer games. And yeah, it was just really nice to see some of the mm. work that he's been doing as well. So yeah, they, yeah. they were, they were for me, I was like, cool they were real standouts yeah. but broadly speaking it was it was good it was really well enjoyable. for me like as, as well as the um content on uh i guess chinese developers and players yeah. talking about censorship there was one and i'm i'm so sorry because i cannot remember the name and it's i just have a goldfish brain mm-hmm. so we'll I'll put it in the notes yeah That's what they're for. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but there was some interesting uh presentation mm-hmm. on like 
mm, romance games, kind of uroge games, mm-hmm. but it was so fascinating to me because obviously it's such a big, um, I don't know, like, I guess you want to say Yaoi or BL mm-hmm. or whatever. That community is really big. But it was fascinating because this researcher, she talked to um, women who wanted hetero Iroga mm-hmm. games. And first there was all this interesting stuff about censorship and what's allowed and what's not allowed. Yeah. There was also some stuff about those players being like, I kind of feel like a minority because there's so mm-hmm. many BL games and yeah. that's such a big thing. And I thought that was just a really interesting little takeaway because yeah. it's, it's kind of not what you necessarily expect I suppose but having been in fandoms I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I see that yeah. like, you know, um that was just an interesting little tidbit I thought that was really I, th- I thought like you could go so far exploring yeah. those kinds of things um, and also something like of interest to us as well because we've been doing some work yes around romantic games mm. too and we've got a book chapter yes on its way so yeah it's, it's very cool to the usual access. more to add situation but you know yeah, it's coming <laughs> it's nice to it's feel like train, we're yeah. in that we're in that um area yeah yeah i um yeah i <laughs> i messaged you at the time because i was i just i i didn't connect the dots the another a person who was in my mm. session on um Fashion and Games is Sarah Christina mm. Ganson, and I was talking to her in the chat, and then she put up her slides, and I was like, oh my god, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I when you see, so, when you see the like, name in a different yeah, context. Yeah, yeah, I think as well, because in the chat, it just came up as, like, Sarah or whatever, yes, and, yeah. then, and then, yeah, I connected the dots, but that, that was really cool, um, and I was able to be like, yeah, like, I've been reading your stuff. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's another, sorry, I should have specified, someone else who works on Otome Games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, that was very cool. Very cool. Yeah. What about yourself? Is that anything? Um, again, fish. I have a fish brain. So, like, I literally mm. was like, when I was writing these notes, I was like, I think this is the only things I've done. You'll probably be like, <laughs> no, Sean, you've done more than that. Um, so, I've been doing some RA work mm-hmm. um, f- for someone at Curtin um, on gamification and accessibility of public mm-hmm. health communications, which has been quite interesting. Um, yeah. As we all know, gamification is very complicated and it's hard to do it well and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, so but it's been good. sometimes yeah. hard to articulate exactly what it is, which yes. is kind of why they brought you on to this project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because I've, I've basically done a bunch of lit reviews. Um, and a lot of people are like, we made, we did gamification. I'm like, you made a serious game? You didn't actually do Or some people are like, we did gamification. And I was like, there's no game elements in mm. what you did. <laughs> so it's quite interesting to look at. Almost, I guess, or like Bogos would say, right? He, mm. He's real, like, it's a buzzword, it's a marketing thing, he hates yeah. it to death, which I get, but I also get, like, the potential of it to be useful. Yeah. Um, but it seems just really hard to do well, and especially in the public sector, obviously mm-hmm. a lot more, like, private, like, mm-hmm. the age-old examples, Duolingo, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been quite interesting. Yeah, that was cool yeah. work. I think, um, at least, this is more anecdotally than anything else, but there, for me, like, I often see a big overlap in... Uh, the idea of gamification and then the idea of, like, the quantified self. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Literally the whole thing. So yeah. our, our friend and colleague, mm-hmm. Ben Fendi Andy, yes. does, yeah, he's yes. interested in yeah. this stuff. And, like, it's that's literally it. Yeah. It's all just how to quantify yourself. And it all becomes about data mm-hmm. and then co- using data to compete with yourself and other people. Yeah. And I just find it really toxic. But also, that's how, that's what Overwatch is, right? <laughs> yeah. Know? So it's, it's almost yeah. like, well, I guess that is a kind of gamification, but is that play actually happening? Yeah. yeah. I won't go on forever. I think um, <laughs> I probably like spoken about this before on the podcast, but Sean and Ben actually have some research that they've yeah, done yeah. on Overwatch and the, the disciplinary system mm, mm. of Overwatch 
I've watched one, um, but... Yeah, I'm attached to <laughs> But, yeah, really, really interesting work, so... Thank yeah. you. Nice. No <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> Other than that, I... Um, so, I actually sent an abstract to MC Journal, mm-hmm. Media Culture Journal. Yeah. They have... It's nice, because um, Heather's published there before. Yeah, they were actually... That's the first academic journal I published Yeah. So, that, they always have, like, a spot <laughs> for me, I think. Well, it's yeah. nice, because they're kind of shorter pieces. Yeah. So, yeah. the one I submitted for is Magic, because... Mm-hmm. Heather sent it to me and I was like, oh, I've got to do something on this. As we discussed in our last episode, woo-woo stuff, <laughs> anything like that. I love it. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, we're playing, obviously playing against an impact. Uh-huh. And Heather, I remember when I first started playing, Heather was like, did you know that this thing called narcissism is real? And I was like, <laughs> mind blown. And then yeah. did all this stuff. So I am writing a short piece, which mm-hmm. is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. on. I'm just trying to say, look, one of the reasons that Genshin Impact is so interesting is because it uses Gnostic themes. It kind of yes. seems to be set in a Gnostic world. Um, and here's a bunch of ways that it does that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's yeah. fun. It's like it's a pet project. Yeah. Um, it's very fun. It's a bit indulgent. And I like that. That's mm. nice, you know. I'm so excited to read it. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think Heather will need to maybe sense check my interpretation <laughs> of the story at times. <laughs> yeah, it'll be wicked. I think as well, like, it's... Uh... Yeah, the the way Hoyoverse uses Gnosticism in Genshin Impact, but also a little bit in some of their other games, mm. is really interesting. And it's, it like I was saying to you when you were sort of talking to me a little bit about what you wanted to do, it is a, it's a sort of like theology that you can't just like uh, be like, I guess it's like this. Like you have to kind of yeah. do like a bit of research for th- for them to implement it in the way that they are doing. Oh, um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a heck a lot of a lot. reading. <laughs> and even like looking up Gnosticism in the mm. research, like obviously, look, I don't, okay, I went to an Anglican high school. Mm. I don't know things about Christianity <laughs> or anything. So yeah. I feel like, I said to you before, I feel like I'm starting on negative because they're like, yeah. John from the Bible. And I'm like, don't know who that is. Yep. So, <laughs> John, <come on. laughs> so, because Gnosticism, like, the term only came up mm-hmm. fairly recently in mm-hmm. research, and then you've got some people being like, you can't even call all these different groups Gnostics because mm-hmm. what do they have in common? And understandably, and other people are like, well, actually, we can see yeah. these common elements throughout. And so it's quite complex. And, of course, then you link to, like, magic systems and demon summoning, and I'm yeah. like, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah. Um, so it is... It's, it's messy and difficult, but that's kind of why it's so fun, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think it would be, be really collateral. And something I noticed as well, obviously, oh, Genshin came out in 2020, and I noticed just a bit in, like, the Degra programming and stuff like that. Not loads, but there are a few people, like, thinking about mm. it. Thinking about it, obviously, like, the gacha system is worth mm. thinking about, and, um, you know, it's got a huge community and also like to do with like the game itself so yeah I think um, I think people are there's there's a group of people working on articulating yeah. certain things about it so it would be really nice that you're contributing to that yeah in this way. I hope yeah. so so yeah, and still bra- braving, accepted, braving so. the old Gnostic texts. Oh, <laughs> no it's, small tra- it's very hard. Mm. But yeah, so it hasn't been accepted yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm writing for the edition, yeah. and we'll see yeah. if it doesn't if it doesn't work out there. I'll definitely do something else yeah. with it. So yeah. yeah, well, the editors seemed really keen on mm. it. So mm. yeah, cool. I think that's kind of yeah. Other than yeah. the standard work I've been doing, mm-hmm. what have you been playing recently? Well, 
So, on the topic of gaming lifestyle, um, (laughs) so in Australia, we can't get the Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people manage to do complicated stuff to import it, but... Mm -hmm. I was like, that's, you know, there's so yeah. many chances that things go wrong. And if there's a warranty issue, la dee Yeah, sure. Um, and I've really, really, really wanted a handheld for <laughs> ages because, like, there's so many games that don't suit the PC. Yeah. Or, like, I want to just chill. Or, like, a visual novel or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't... To me, that's like, I can chill on the couch on my back, you know? Yeah. It's really nice. Um, and I will note as well, like... Because there are some games that you like that aren't available on Switch. Yes, as this well, is the which thing. Is a big yeah. Literally, I yeah. said to you one day, we're walking the dogs, and I was like, I want a Switch, but one that does Steam games. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, that's the Steam Deck. Yeah. Um, so Asus came out with the Rog Alley, which is not the great. Rog is Republic of Gamers. I think this is hilarious. And I <laughs> it's not as a smooth, it doesn't come off the tongue. <laughs> you know, like, we were like, what do we call it? And I was like, I haven't actually quite decided what we're going to call it yet yeah. because it's awkward. Yeah. But it's essentially, I call it the Asus Steam Deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's what it is. Basically what it is. And yeah. all the reviews on Girl Gamers made me positive because mm-hmm. they were like, uh, it's lighter mm-hmm. than the Steam Deck and a bit less bulky because... Mm-hmm. As we know, the Xbox controller was designed for men with massive hands, and mm-hmm. that's always been a bit of a thing for women playing Xbox, yeah. especially like 360 back in the day. Yeah. And the Steam Deck apparently is a bit chunkier, mm-hmm. but this for me is perfect. Good. It it's like it's literally like having a little Windows laptop, but in a Switch setting, mm. and it's yeah. So yeah, I've complained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can play Genshin on it if I need to, although I'm not tr- I'm not very quick. Yeah. On the handheld, on the controller yet, but I've been playing um, Deathmark, which mm-hmm. is like a horror visual novel. Cool. It's so cool, and it's not too much. Okay. You know? <laughs> like, I'm always like, I love these yeah. horror games, but I'm such a chicken. Um, I haven't got too far, but so far, it's a bit like the. There seems to be a whole genre, and I know it from Japanese media, but yeah. it might be in other media too. Where it's, I know it from like nonary games and stuff, mm-hmm. but. The premise is like people forget that they have no memory, they forgot mm. stuff, they're in a place, there's a mark on them, they've got a certain amount of time to live and they have to complete a task. Oh, by, oh that my sort God. of thing. This is like the world ends with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah similar. Yeah. yeah. A nonary yeah. game and like there was a game I played on DS called nine nine nine. It was yeah. like Yeah, cool. it's, it's such a thing. Yeah. There's a TV show. Oh cool. But yeah. It's I mean it's it's slightly different, but it's pretty it's the same trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world ends with you is one of my favorite favorite games like all time top it's very three. trendy and cool yeah <laughs> just like me <laughs> um yeah no that sounds wicked yeah cool. so it's kind of like there's some ghosts and we've got to figure yeah. out and what i thought i thought it was going to be like a whole sequence of ghosts mm-hmm. but as it turned i just finished like the first i guess section or mm-hmm. arc or whatever and went oh no that's the big bad so right, it's quite okay. and it, it's quite dark and it's quite spooky i think it's stuck a few times but it's just nice to yeah. play something spooky but manageable yeah like i'm not gonna drop the controller and scream mm-hmm. and enjoy that on a handheld yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just perfect for the handheld i downloaded all these visual novels yeah. i got all these games on itch because mm-hmm. like if it if the itch game is uh controller friendly yeah you can play it on there and you can cool. also edit it if you need to like mm-hmm. it can't the the ally comes with some quite good setting options cool. in that. That's, that that's really cool i like yeah. that about it yeah. yeah so like i'm super excited i think yeah. it's going to be so good mm-hmm. um i can just play a lot of things small and quickly yeah. and things where I don't want to be hunched in front of the computer or sometimes Harris can play a game on TV mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, I want to read. I'll play my visual novel. Like, yeah. I yeah. think um, we'll talk about this a little bit more, I guess, throughout this episode, but it's like, it's perfect for someone like you who, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like generally speaking has been a PC gamer 
predominantly. Yeah. Like, or even like we have a PC in the lounge room connected yes, to TV as yeah. well. But you so can it's like and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the idea that yeah, like I have so many Steam games yeah. and so many each games to play, but I'm like it doesn't suit that setup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not like you can you can bring it with you on the train. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super exciting. Yeah. And it was a nice, because, so I spoke to Harris about it and was like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And normally I'm pretty good and I don't do that. (laughs) But you knew. Yeah. We just decided we'll get the second wave. And actually we got it like two weeks early because the headaches. So that was like a nice surprise. That's wicked. Yeah. Very cool. I'm still, I still need to try it. Yeah. So so I need to pinch it. I'm going to lend it to you guys (laughs) to have a little play and then you'll be converted as well. (laughs) Um, otherwise, I've been playing Ghostwire Tokyo mm-hmm. on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's so cool. This sounds really cool. I've never played this, but... It's so cool! Yeah. It's so, so, like, this is my terrible attempt at describing the story. Mm-hmm. So, it, I love your description. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nighttime, Tokyo, mm-hmm. literally like Shibuya Shinjuku, amazing, yeah. looks the same. Mm-hmm. So cool. And some scary stuff happens. There seems to be some demon things. Yeah. Everybody's souls, they dis- people disappear. Their clothes mm-hmm. are left behind. It looks like their souls are being stolen by this oh. guy in a Hanyu, like, scary demon-y kind yeah. of mask. And you're like, I'm around, I'm fine. Yeah. And somebody uh, has, p- somebody who does, like, ghost detective type mm-hmm. things has yeah. possessed you, and but you're also sentient still. He's like, oh, it's oh. too hard, fine, we'll share the body, you know? It's like Johnny Silverhand. Yeah, like, yeah. like that, okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. so you're exploring this nighttime, yeah. empty mm-hmm. Tokyo, and you're sort of come in contact with these, like, demons and mm-hmm. these really scary ghosts and creatures, and you help the spirits of people left behind, and it's just... Bloody awesome. It sounds really cool. It's really cool. And it it's looks gorgeous. Sp- yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. my God. I, we sent a picture. Mm-hmm. When we played, we were like, here's a picture of, like, a street in Tokyo at night, yeah. and here's a picture from the game. And yeah. it's the same. Very cool. It's fantastic. Um, and there's, it's just, it's gorgeous. Like, you, you can read the minds of cats and dogs, and mm-hmm. you can feed the dogs, and they'll, get, they'll like, dig up something for you. Um, there's, like, Nekomara, so, like, the uh, yokai, the cat, mm-hmm. the two tails. Yeah. And they're, like, floating in, in these cute Aww. outfits, and they're like, hey, do some shopping. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's a gorgeous mix of actually very cute and endearing yeah. uh, spiritual uh, mythology. Yeah. And at the same time, having these bloody scary yeah. ghosts and, and things. And it's it's just great. It's, like, open world, you explore, but it's very engaging. Yeah. Lots of, like, you know, you find snippets for na- for story. Mm. And I just, it just really pulled me. I think I think I messaged you one night because I was like, we found a tanuki and we have to find his friends. <laughs> and we found, like, you know, it was just really endearing. Yeah. Like, it sounds yeah. it sounds really really good. Mm. So is it mostly is the gameplay? Is it I guess like detectivey mostly? Oh, so it's like, yeah, so it's in first person, and it's actually I would say it's mostly like action. Yeah. So cool. you have like uh, element. Almost like elemental abilities, and he does the cool hand signals. Oh, for, very cool. Naruto, yeah. I thought. Oh, I thought. Cool. <laughs> um, and you sort of, and sometimes like to unlock certain things, you have yeah. to do the certain pattern with the controller. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. like a little bit Akami. As yeah, well. yeah. That's one of Sean's favorites. Yes, it is. <laughs> so you can yeah. see the path that yes, I got here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I genuinely, I just mm. love the narrative. The gameplay is very fun. It, it seems to be pretty well balanced. Like it's yeah. challenging, but we haven't felt crazy frustrated or cool. anything um i just i've been really enjoying it yeah it sounds it's, it's definitely on my list mm. i hadn't really i hadn't really come across too much about it to be honest or yeah. maybe i just hadn't been 
pink tattoo, which mm-hmm. happens as well. Um, but yeah, it sounds wicked. Yeah. It sounds really good. It sounds like a, well, it sounds like a game that you love. Like, you, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like all oh, a lot of things that you're really interested yeah, in. Yeah, it's like that perfect game combination. You like, <laughs> all that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely on my list. So yeah, I think. They're the main things I've been playing in, which are quite spooky, I'm realising. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's getting into winter, mm-hmm. I'm reading a spooky book as well. Yeah. I'm kind of getting into that mode and yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. yeah, very cool. What about you? What have you been playing? What have I been playing? Uh, I have been playing um, a bit. Not not too much because I just finished uh, marking essays and stuff from semester. Yes, so it's been quite busy. I've been playing a little bit like in between those things. But one thing I played recently... On it actually was Off Day by Vivian Ha, mm-hmm. which is a short visual novel. It's like a point and click. Oh, the thing. icon is like someone sleeping with the dog. Yes, it's so cute. Yes. Yeah, the artwork is really beautiful mm-hmm. in this. It's, it's um, yeah, kind of <laughs> the the way that it's been illustrated and designed. It feels like the art almost like glows mm. a little bit. Um, yeah, and. While it doesn't explicitly say anywhere in the game, like COVID-19 or pandemic, for me, it was very clearly a game about how living through the pandemic has altered our experience of like Mm. home and the everyday and things like that. Um, And something that I found really striking about it was like, it is about appreciating the the beauty of like your home and Mm. sort of being like, okay, what do I like about different things about it? But very much alongside the sort of existential dread mm. of the pandemic, almost the sort of like subdued kind of feelings of anxiety that I think everyone is familiar with mm. from from 2020, still now in mm. most places, but particularly in like 2020, 2021. So you, um, yeah, you basically go through different rooms in the apartment and you can click lots of different items in the rooms, like laptop, dog, your friend, bookshop and <laughs> stuff like that. And you kind of get like this sort of narrative choice options, like how do you feel about the subjects? Mm-hmm. And you get a few choices, like does it make you happy? Are there specific memories associated to it? There is a part where it's like, did this make me happy once? Which was quite like a... Oh, but striking, not anymore, the implication. Yeah, oh. like quite a striking kind of... Um, it's very Maria Kondo. Yeah, yeah. It it was I'm it's not it's probably about half an hour long. It's not a long mm-hmm. game to play. Um but yeah, it sort of to me really nicely articulated like melancholy, uh characters clearly dealing with, you know, feeling depressed and quite mm. isolated, but also has a lot of love for like their roommate, um and yeah, different aspects of their home and things mm. like that. So I yeah, I found it quite moving, I think, mm. and I would recommend it. It's, um, yeah, I think it articulated some conflicting feelings really nicely. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I thought was really interesting about it. It, was, it wasn't just feel good. It wasn't just feel bad. It was, mm. yeah, there was a lot of contrast there. And I'm always, I love games like that that are very, like, sort of attentive to, like, everyday things, mm. like, broadly that's, something I'm interested in mm. in my research too. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It sounds like it's sort of a, a game that sort of slows. It's like, okay, we'll slow down and reflect on you and your surroundings and the things, the yeah. yours and your context. We, yeah. yeah, well, it, like, it's the first sort of, like, scene, I guess, the first room you're in um, is 
the character's bedroom, they're like waking up in the morning and they're kind of trying to do that sort of like wellness, and I put that in air quotes because mm. I know that's like a loaded phrase, <laughs> but um, the wellness thing where you're like, okay, like it's kind of like noticing things around mm. you, like this is my laptop, this is, I like this because I can do this with it, mm. or yeah, to kind of, um, yeah, make themselves feel a bit more grounded. Mm. And and that, that feeling of kind of being like disconnected from reality, which I think uh, when, you know, during long stretches of like working from home, not really going out anywhere, feeling mm. very isolated, um, which was pretty common in 2020, particularly like, I think, yeah, it, it depends on what part of the world you were in, but certainly I had those experiences where I was living. Um, yeah, it, it. I can't remember what my point was. There was something, like, <laughs> something um, about nice there, but the yeah, slowing down and being reflective and yeah, the I think kind of I think the yeah. slowing down. It's kind of like particularly that that's a way that the character was trying to cope, I mm. guess, with what was happening. Yeah, but also I kind of liked that it didn't overtly stay. COVID-19 mm. pandemic because I was like it's not that those feelings are only contained in that time so yeah, yeah that that was lovely yeah that was cool I would I would recommend that it's a short one as well and then the other thing I played a little bit of recently is Honkai Star Rail which is the new gacha action RPG from Hoyoverse so the same people who made Genshin Impact it came out couple of months ago mm-hmm. maybe it's mm-hmm. still pretty new um it's a turn-based combat mm. system which is different to Genshin's kind of open world combat not a genre I play a lot of I do play a little bit but mm. just not not so much at the moment um I haven't played loads of this so I haven't finished mm. like I'm not up to date on where the story is at and things like that um but in general I have enjoyed this it's quite um a little bit more of like a found family kind of story. That's nice. You sort of, uh, you get picked up by this sort of like band of, you know, band of odd bods mm. who travel through space on, on a on a train, which is... That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like it, steampunk it, sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I usually, uh, I, I tend to really like science fiction mm. games, maybe slightly more than fantasy games, but... This game hasn't quite, like, sorry, I should rephrase that. I I sort of was like, if I look at this game, I can look at this game on its own, but it's hard for me not to compare it to Genshin Impact, I mm. suppose, just because I played quite a bit of that. And, um, yeah, they're by the same company, so there's similar similar themes, similar kinds of art, also the sort of things, like, coming out there. Um, yeah, it hasn't quite hooked me in the same way Genshin has. I'm not entirely sure why mm. yet, because I'm... I'm enjoying it. Like, I'm like, oh, this is nice, but I haven't felt um, super compelled to, like, rush through it or anything mm-hmm. like that, which is probably healthy and normal. <laughs> we can only commit like to a certain amount of live games, really. I mean... I suppose so, <laughs> yeah. Per- perhaps that's why. And also, you know, I guess um, maybe it's an... Unf- like, when I first tried Genshin, I wasn't that taken by it mm-hmm. either. Actually, I tried it, and then I left it for, like, a year... And then I came back to it, and I was, you know, like, kind of got into it again. So, yeah, not maybe not a fair comparison, but it is it is good. And I, I was saying to Sean earlier, it's got a nice sense of humor, mm. which is kind of good. It feels more like something that you might play, again, on the, on the train, not to yeah. make you better about it, but it feels like something that's a little bit easier to play in, like, quick bursts. That's nice. It's a nice way to sort of 
contrast it with Genshin as mm. well because if you because I know I, I heard a lot about yeah. it because a lot of like Genshin fan blogs or whatever yeah. talking yeah. about it and I'm sort of like ah oh, how do you fit both these games in your life but if there's yeah. enough differences like that you can if you can sort of conceptualize it as a different style of game then yeah I think it is I think I think there are obvious similarities but I the the pacing at least for me at the moment feels quite mm. different. So yeah, I play a little bit of that. I'm sure I'll play a little bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, the other thing I played a little bit of recently, because apparently for me I'm still in 2022, is I actually played a little bit of the Sims 4 High School Years Love it. expansion pack. Um, I didn't have a major Sims binge. I just had a little one. I was just like, <laughs> I had the itch. I was like, I've got to scratch it. And yeah, the, the high, there's, there's like... There's new packs for The Sims, like, every hour, it feels like. <laughs> like I have no idea. Like, the I don't know when things come out anymore. No, no. Because there's just such a volume of them. But, yeah, I played a little bit of the high school years, kind of, like, stuff that's mm-hmm. in the game that came out, like, about a year ago. It came mm-hmm. out in, like, July 2022. It was very cute. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, like, yeah, we've spoken about this in the podcast before, but... I like playing The Sims. Like, I like yes. seeing them go and do things. Other people, like Sean, <laughs> maybe spend more time, like, building things, which mm. I find really inspiring because I get quite bored with building things. Mm. Um, I don't know what that says about my creativity, <laughs> but, uh, like, I find Minecraft incredibly dull. Not, not because it's a dull game, just because uh, it's perhaps the pace. Yeah, it's not your thing. That's okay. Anyways, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I played through, like, you can, like, basically the thing that like people who play the sims have maybe i put in air quotes always wanted but i think it's probably true like you can follow mm. your teenage and kid sims to school wait no you can only follow your teenage sims mm. to school actually no your kid ones kid ones whatever who cares about <laughs> that? um and they can go to the high school and there's high school shenanigans that's pretty but, cool yeah it was it was sweet i was like very um i would say like in some ways perhaps perhaps like aspects of it felt a little Simplistic, but simplistic mm-hmm. in the sense that I think the main rationale I think for this pack is it just gives a lot more like sort of storytelling kind yeah. of um, capacity. Instead of being so like, like, oh, if they go to school, I have my adult sim at home for yeah, the day. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because I often, uh, when I play The Sims, I tend to find child sims kind of boring. Yeah. And I think this is partially why, because you don't see them like mm. a lot of the time. And yeah, they're you know they're they're fine, but they maybe lack some of the uh, like agency. Yes, or like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. can't you can't really um, I don't know follow them around as much or mm. whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I thought this was really cute, and it introduces some. So you have like your, like your prom events and stuff like that, oh, and the the new like neighborhood has like a um, like a fairground. Like, oh, near cool! The, near the dock, which is really cute. Um, yeah, and there was, like, there's some, like, cute... Do you remember, like, in, I think, like, The Sims 1 and The Sims 2 in particular? Um, you know, all, all of them, there, there was a Sims humor. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, kind of a bit cheeky, a bit silly, um, which I always really like. And it felt like there was quite a lot of it in this pack, <laughs> which was nice. It felt kind of nostalgic to me, perhaps. Mm. But, yeah, my, my son, my little teenage sim to prom with their date, and then they... Oh. Then they they got invited to the after party, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the after party was at this, like, new fairground lot. So um, 
I was like, oh, like they can go on the Ferris wheel with their their date, and they did. And then the date got really scared of heights, and we got like a little, <laughs> like an event dialogue to be like, how are you gonna comfort them? And one was like, be nice, and the other one was like, I'll make a like lighthearted joke. And then, so my sim made a joke, and then um, a couple, you know, like the Maybe. date didn't think it was funny, like <laughs> didn't help. I think the joke was like, who is the fairest of them all, oh, or something no. like that. But it did make me laugh. I was like, it was, it was charming. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I, I kind of just, to be honest, I probably played through like a week of like yeah. high school life, and then I kind of put it aside and mm. got on back back onto the work I was supposed to be doing. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was cute. I liked it. I think my I'll have to give it a go. I have, I've got The Sims Four in a big pack a long time ago, mm. but I haven't played it a huge amount. Um, and I really feel like I need to try again because because I saw I was exposed to the high school years pack because Plum Bella who oh, I watched yeah. like once a week I'll just yeah. watch a couple videos yeah and she did one where she like redesigned the school to a more UK oh. style and it was very funny it was like <laughs> just real morbid yeah. like everything's great that does sound it was quite actually. funny <laughs> I have to look that one up yeah no it's good I I think when I mean it's been out for a long time now but when The Sims 4 came out I wasn't that taken by it mm. because I think Oh, there was all kinds of complaints and issues. It's just, it, right? I think it was, at the time it released, it felt like it was missing a lot. And that was partially because like they're... Pools. Yeah, pa- partially <laughs> because the, like, um, monetization model that they're working mm. on now is lo- lots and lots of smaller content releases, which, eh, you know, like, we don't need to get into that, but <laughs> that's a thing that uh, occurs. Um, yeah, but I think now it it feels fuller and I also in terms of like because it's quite expensive if you were to get all of it all together, oh, the but I think this yeah. is for base game is free now which oh, is interesting. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure about the expansion packs but um my sister and I have shared mm. the sims for forever like mm. since it came out so it's it's never been like I've never like fully committed mm. to um buying everything myself or everything like that so that's a good way to do it yeah. I think it is quite, it's interesting. I do think it is, I think someone did the maths once, I don't know, mm. on the internet I saw, and it was like a lot, like not yeah. a feasible amount of money to get the whole set, which I thought was interesting because I was like, there's so many people, you know, when you look at how much mm-hmm. custom content people make and stuff, yeah. I was kind of like, it's an odd choice, Yeah, but there's a lot of odd choices that have been done with The Sims 4 in general. So. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and originally yeah. it was supposed to be like online, like it was meant to be kind of The Sims Online again. But then yeah. they scratch that. So, oh, yeah, I, ne- I don't. I don't think I ever played The Sims online. Oh my god, I did never you? did. Yeah. No, but I have watched again Plum Bella videos yeah. of her trying it, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like The Sims One was weird enough, but then get random people oh, online yeah. doing it together. It's like a whole other level. I've had looked, I think it's quite. It's quite hard to play the original Sims now. Yeah. Um, I have looked at how to do it, and some people have posted. Mm. Well. If they still exist on Reddit, there are threads mm, that, um, mm. yeah, that, that cover how you can, like, install it and stuff like that. Because it is, it is a treasure, The Sims. Yeah. And <laughs> I, know I think we've mentioned this before, but there's something so uncanny and weird about so many, well, the whole game, the elements of it. Yeah. Like, the sky is black. And now when you look at it, I'm like, oh, it looks quite spooky, you know? Yeah. Just, there's so many things about I it that are really nostalgic, agree. but also a bit unsettling. I yeah. completely yeah. agree. Yeah. No, I would like to... I would like to set it up again just mm. to play around with it, but I haven't I haven't committed the time, basically. But mm. yeah, but it's okay because The Sims 4 has cool years. <laughs> so, yeah. 
so let's get into gaming lifestyle. Let's get into it. <laughs> so, so when I suggested the topic, mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to encapsulate the way that games are integrated into our lives mm-hmm. or the ways that we try to make sure we have time to play games, yeah. can fit games into our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because at the time I was feeling a bit sensitive about <laughs> not fitting sure. enough game time in. Um, so things kind of like what setups we use, yeah. how we, um, what games we engage in, what systems and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like how we allocate time to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, of course, a lot of this stuff does connect to the gamer identity in air quotes yes, quite yeah. a bit. And we'll definitely talk about that a bit. Yeah. But I kind of was looking at this maybe being a bit more reflective on how we engage with gaming as a hobby, as mm, a pastime, yeah. and maybe not quite so much about how much we... I guess we obviously see it as an important part of our lives. Yes, yeah. But to what extent... Maybe not talking too much about to what extent we kind of feel like it's part of who we are. Yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, more about sort of space and time. Yeah. And those kinds of dimensions of it. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I... And, that's kind of what we were touching on. Mm. Uh, the intro as well is it's such the idea of like a gamer or a gaming lifestyle mm. is such there's so many there's so much work mm. in this field there's so many scholars sort of looking at it from different dimensions. So yeah, I think this will be really interesting. Hopefully for me, hopefully for people <laughs> listening too. Um yeah, because I was thinking about when you said let's talk about this stuff, mm. it was sort of the first thing that I started reflecting on was how like if we're thinking about a gaming lifestyle and air quotes, what is uh, new or different or notable about what mm. that what connotations that has now in like 2023? Um, and for me, I was like, for yeah, just a, a few things that I think perhaps have influenced people's relationship to gaming. One, and this is big, big air quotes, <laughs> big Sean air quotes. Like, um, in so, like, like there is there is a feeling of games being more mainstream. Oh yeah, perhaps, yeah, 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 for as sure. A, as yeah. a hobby and less kind of like, less kind of niche. And I, I think, in part, that's to do with the amount of platforms there are for mm-hmm. gaming now. So even you talking about the the REG mm. ally being something that can take your PC gaming hobby Mm. into different spaces, I think is, yeah, really, really changes people's relations Mm. to games. And And it's interesting, to me, it's Mm. a really interesting contrast because, you know, when we're applying for funding or we're writing papers or whatever, we're always like, so many people play games, it's been bigger than film for ages, here's all these stats, it's massive, it's massive. And people are like, oh, really? Gamers Mm. are weird. And there's, Mm. there's a real discrepancy between, I feel, between the reality of how big this stuff is yeah. and some people's conception of what games are like yeah. and what players are like. And I find I found that quite a lot, I suppose, in the last few years in particular. I mean, when I started my thesis, it was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. But now I'm like, all right, well, it's 2023. I'm still hearing this stuff. Yeah. And I find that's quite – it's a weird it's a weird dichotomy to me. Yeah, I think – yeah, I think you're right. I think, like, that kind of um – What's the word I'm looking for here? The the conception of gaming being something that can only be done by certain people in certain spaces mm. at certain times in certain you know like yeah. this, and this involves c- certain kinds of games yes, like yeah, yeah certain yeah. kinds of players all that kind of thing it it I I, I feel like it's it's less present like anecdotally mm. but that's not really true actually mm, and mm. reading your work and um, you know even just looking at 
Barry Brubeck's work, mm. which we've spoken about before, but I'm going to talk about again a little bit today, and just some of the statistics mm. about, like, um, you know, people who stream games, people who play games, mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there, there is, there is, there is still very much an idea of like a specific demographic you know, way, mm. way of playing games that exists um, simultaneously with other other ways of playing and things like that. So. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. There wasn't really like a firm like response to <laughs> that, but yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I think um, yeah, the the other things that I was thinking of as well is there is also more money in playing games in mm. terms of like you know people play games for work mm. as well, and that uh, kind of again the idea of more platforms and people playing games in different spaces is interesting in the in the context of the pandemic where I think there's been a lot more people streaming and perhaps people watching streams for something to mm. do, something mm. to connect with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even, like, I know the last few years mm-hmm. I've seen, like, the rise of esports and there's yes. a lot of discussion yeah. about that as a whole thing. And um, it's funny because, that again... That focuses on a very specific mm-hmm. subset yeah. of players and games, one that I'm like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, these kinds of ideas, there's different pockets, I think. And, yeah, at the same time, it's everywhere. Yeah, I think I think when you say this, this is something that I notice in certain communities, like, like BookTok and stuff like that, is, mm. like, there's always the production of, like, like, a reader, right? Mm. And it's like, what? Like, you know, like that that's just not that's just not there is no like and universal yet, yeah. identity of someone who reads books. Like And yet for games it's so different, right? Yeah, well Supposedly. I think like in certain spaces there is an attempt to produce like a sort of like reading aesthetic mm. and things like that. And I, it's the same for mm. as you say, like for games, but we know like statistically speaking, the volume of people that play games means that they, they can't be the same person. It's not. They can't play games in the not. same way. There's big... Um, actually, some of the talks on the symposium talked about... Uh, I forget the person's name, but <laughs> put that in the notes too. Like the casual gaming market in yeah. Southeast Asia and stuff like that being a huge, huge like mm. market um, or, you know, player base mm. really that is that doesn't... Also doesn't align with other like mm. Um, mm. things that we've touched on as well. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I think what you're saying in terms of like grounding it in like mm. time and space and that is really useful because a gaming lifestyle has so many dimensions to it and so many ways yeah. to approach it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> given that we've just sort of like yeah. put together um, all that kind of, I guess in terms of like for you, did you mm. want to speak a little bit towards yeah. your, like your gaming lifestyle, sure. I suppose? So I guess the first thing I thought of was mm-hmm. kind of setups. Mm-hmm. And like, so we have a PC and PlayStation in the lounge, and mostly we use that for playing games together, yeah. like swapping the controller. Yeah. Although lately I've been like, maybe I'll just browse yeah. my phone or um, and watch, or yeah. I'll play my own game on the Ally. Um, or sometimes I just watch half play because I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, just play for both of us and I'll watch. No, I, think, <laughs> I actually think that's a really, like, just to jump in as well, mm. I think that's that's a worthwhile point to mention, like, well, yeah. watching other people play games. Not just on streams, but, like, mm. in, 
in a home. And it like is that. interesting because that has been something that's come up in some literature I've read. Mm. And I've and I'm every time we do it, I say to him like, oh, I'm such a fake girl gamer. <laughs> I'm just watching you play, and it's such a thing we play on. But I'm like, I'm snoring in a half an hour. Otherwise, like I just don't have the stamina. Yeah. So yeah, it's something that we're very. It's funny because we're very aware of like, whoa, how would people read that? And you're like, no, I'm well into games. I just Tired. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, for for me, growing up, uh, watching each other play games was something that my sisters and I did. Yeah. Like, we, when we played together, you know, like, mm, mm, mm. someone would have the controller yeah, and someone, someone wouldn't. Yeah, so someone would play a game, so, right? Like, like, for me, actually, there's a real, like, I actually really like, mm. like, what, I don't really watch much Twitch streaming, but I really like watching people. I, I like mm. sitting with people whilst they're mm. playing games. Mm. I enjoy that a lot, actually. So yeah, no. It's but nice. I think it's a really yeah. good. It's a really good point to make. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So like, if we play Genshin, mm-hmm. which you do every day, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I've used the iPad. He uses the PlayStation because his PlayStation was his present, so mm-hmm. he gets to use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I use the, kind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I use the PC for multiplayer games, other people I see the yeah. things. But I haven't I don't actually use a, a huge amount. I, I use it for games like Faro, because like yeah. you really need to have a mouse and keyboard. keyboard. Yeah. And so often we'll like like I'll play Faro and he'll play Stellaris and yeah. we'll have a TV show in the middle or something. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of the setup we go for. Mm-hmm. Um I take so like on my PC I've taken a lot of care to have like a nice gaming setup, but really mm-hmm. I don't use a huge amount for gaming. Yeah. Because I use it for work as well. And yes, then I like, do you want to yeah. be in the study all the time? Mm-hmm. Because that's horrible. But I also like, I'm, I have a look at the on Girl Gamers. They have mm-hmm. like a tag for battle stations. And it's yeah. really funny because there's all like, bloody all of them pink. Which is yeah. like, no hate, <laughs> but I want some diversity. And there yeah. was one I saw that was yeah. like Totoro themed and it was green. And I was yeah. like, yes. Because mm. uh, I love teal, like turquoise. Yes, yeah. So I've gone for a green theme. So mm-hmm. I have like my green mouse and keyboard mm-hmm. and I have a little cute, animal light that's green and yeah. I've got my polytoad and like it's sort of like it's it's having a nice little space where you're like these are cute and these are my things yeah and then even for work you're like no this isn't like boring and just plain black yeah it's like, like having it's like having a photo of your kids yeah it kind <laughs> of is it kind of is <laughs> it's a polytoad yeah. <laughs> so yeah like I have it set up and yeah. like you know, when I was a kid, I had a Game Boy Color and then yeah. PSP and Nintendo DS. Yeah. And I never actually used them that much. Yeah. Like, I tr- did a bit, but I never found... I just didn't find it either that engaging mm-hmm. or I couldn't focus or, I don't know, commuting, I get distracted. I've yeah. literally missed my stop before because I've been reading a book. So, like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have the same problem on public mm. transport. Actually, this is... Slightly unrelated, but yeah. the coolest thing I've ever seen on public transport was catching a bus, um, like in Perth City, and there was like a guy, and I, he was, uh, like I know I'm so bad with people's ages, but <laughs> let's say he was in his like forties or fifties, okay. um, and he had an iPad and his phone, and he was playing Pokemon Go on both, and I was like, <laughs> what a what, what a, a absolute sick guy! Oh my god, <laughs> was, like, living the dream. <laughs> Stop, he'd like, you know, it was amazing. Wow, um, that's dedication. Yeah, it was very cool. And I, I will note this was in like 2021, <laughs> 2020. No, it's probably like 2022, actually. So, like, this after was, the craze, this, really. yeah, this was post like Pokemon Go craze by quite a few years. Um, this one guy's propping up the whole internet. Yeah, <laughs> just 
I, like, mad respect. <laughs> Pokemon Go is probably the only game I can, like, play on, like, a bus or something like mm. that because it doesn't really take a lot of, uh... Yeah, like, focus. Attention. And, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it can, but that aside, yeah, I have, I don't play much on public yeah. transport for the same I just reason. can't either. I can't focus or I'm too focused and then I don't yeah. know where I am. So it doesn't yeah. really... <laughs> also, um, just <laughs> in Perth, like, the buses and stuff don't usually like um in in london the buses usually show like what stop is coming up yeah next. they don't have these here so you're, really, you're really on your own when you're on a bus <laughs> in Perth. you actually have to pay attention otherwise as john says you could end up yeah anywhere i've had to be picked up a few times <laughs> once i fell asleep <laughs> So embarrassing. <laughs> but really, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Luckily, Perth isn't that big. You yeah, can't, yeah. Can't too far. Worst case, you probably just get stuck on a loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of how I've got it set up. And now yeah. now I've got the ally, like, that's going to be nice because, it, again, it's like spending time together, but you can yeah. do separate activities thing. Yeah. And I think that's what we struggle with because every time we look up couch car games, mm-hmm. we've played them all. <laughs> like, yeah, all the ones that get recommended. Okay. Yeah. And, like, they're brilliant. Yeah. Like, but yeah, there isn't that many. So yeah. it's kind of a nice way to spend time together but also indulge in the games that we separately like. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I guess in terms of... Um, Time, we tend to think of games as a way to, like, socialise with people and catch mm. up with them. Like, I know I've said before, like, we have a friend and we often just rotate the controller. And, yeah. And obviously we play Genshin most days. Mm-hmm. We just have a chat and yeah. do some, like, activities together. So mm-hmm. that's nice. Um, yeah, it's and it's kind of, I think the main thing for me, and I think I have mentioned this before, mm-hmm. but it's that the issue for me is that because I get tired, Mm-hmm. I, it's like gaming is it takes a bit more brain power it's yeah. a bit like work I'm getting every day I'm like no I have to log in and yeah. I have to get my things even yeah. though I really don't have to yeah. but like I feel the need it's like when I play Final oh. Fantasy with the crafting and it just like I just I actually I forgot to mention there's a part <laughs> of um, Off Day the game I spoke about first that made me think of you because the first like in the first scene the character's like in their bed and if you click on the laptop one of the options for like what I go through and she's like mm, I should do my dailies oh, I was like oh, that's literally that's literally the message I send you every day <laughs> doing my dailies and I never call them that it's such a that's how oh, you, no, really? that, that's how you know that you have played a lot of like multiplayer games yeah that, that, that's like the colloquial like, yeah. term for all of them that's very funny yeah. I did not even did, realize that that was a yeah. It did make me laugh. So I was like, it's exactly like the message I get from Sean. At like 5 p.m. Like. I'm on it. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, yeah. I think. It's sort of like that sense of like, I need to do certain things. Yeah. I also want to do other things. How do, I, how do I fit it around what I've got to do today or how my energy levels are yeah. or whatever, ever, ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we have a lot of options. Maybe we don't mm-hmm. use all of them frequently, but I like to think that it means that yeah. <laughs> there's always something. So do you think, like, over time, you have, like, changed around consoles a lot? Or is that more of, like, a recent thing that you mm. started to do to, to kind of, like, make space for it? Yeah, I think I always was a PlayStation person yeah. because I like I like having it separate from the study because that's yeah. where I work. Yeah. So I, I was always, like, I play a console... Mm-hmm. It, were, it used to also be because, like, you know, mm. computer, like, used to always have issues with things run, not running properly sure, and stuff. Yeah. Now it's a bit different. Yeah. But I was always like, oh, it's plug and play. It always works. Yeah. So yeah. that was always the way I played. Um, 
And then as we started playing more multiplayer games, it started becoming more about the PC. Yeah. And I guess we tried to reclaim that by going back to back the, the other way. Yeah. yeah somewhere between. So it's definitely, I think it, I think the big thing has been separating the workspace and the play space. Yeah. I think. Which I will say, and this is a niche problem, mm. but Sean will know what I'm talking about, and I think uh, I've, I've heard other scholars talk about the same thing, is when like your work and your hobby kind of overlap mm. a little bit like there's a kind of like <laughs> like someone was tweeting about it recently it's like you know no play games only study games <laughs> oh yeah because <laughs> it felt like sometimes yeah. that's what i'm like i'm like oh i'm not actually i haven't played anything properly for a yeah, few weeks or whatever yeah. Yeah. and I, i'm sure like i can only really speak to it from an academic context but i'm sure it's the kind of thinking that probably occurs when you're a game designer as mm. well. It's because you're so focused on producing, making a game, that you maybe don't have as much time to actually like just sort of muck around mm. and try different stuff. And something that, uh, like writing my thesis, I kind of have to remind myself to do, sometimes when I feel like I'm hitting a bit of a wall with research, is just to go and play something different. Mm. And every time I do that, I'm so reinvigorated for like oh that's like, so nice because you know I'm like oh this is a medium that I love and I love what mm. it can do and I love I love what people are doing with it mm. as well but sometimes you have to remember to go back and do that and again it's a little bit of a niche professional problem no but, but I, I think yeah. yeah I get it because I think and even for me like mm. the whole separating work and play thing is very mm. much like otherwise I'll never leave the study and it's all, yes yeah and it's kind of like trying to do that but yeah it's it, and I'm doing my thesis because I was such a stress head yeah. it was about trying to like be like okay don't think about it all the time yeah. now you, but now it's a bit different and now mm -hmm. it is like oh no I'm okay with having a bit of overlap and sometimes like yeah, yeah. being like hang on I'm getting stuck on something maybe I just need to reset my brain a little bit and find that excitement or find yeah. something different and then you're like oh yeah that was good yeah. <laughs> you know? and you're like oh like some yeah sometimes you just need a, a change mm. something to go, to go back to the thing that started you on mm. a certain path. I think in a, in a similar way when I was working in book publishing, obviously I like reading, mm. I read a lot, um, but at, there were times when I was working in publishing when I was like, God, I never want to see another book like, ever again, <laughs> which is a bizarre thought to have, but it's when, it's when you know, like you're, things you're passionate about and mm. things you're doing more serious work on perhaps overlap. I think that is not an uncommon feeling mm. um, to to have. Mm, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What about your setups? Yeah, I was, I think um, for me, I really like seeing like people's, I, I'm a fan of the whole girl gamer <laughs> uh, sort of um, setup. Not necessarily like girl gamer, but I know that's sometimes a bit of like a tag that people use yeah, it's for a these tag, things. Yeah. Um, or they're sort of very sort of like sort of like aesthetically constructed mm. things. With the glowing lights and there's always a nice little anime picture and everything yeah. matches and oh <laughs> I um actually yeah <laughs> for me though I was thinking like because as an adult, mm. so like post moving on my parents and everything like that, I've moved quite a bit and I've mm. moved internationally. So personally I feel like I've never really like had like a space that's mm. just like this is like just for games like there's always been that overlap with other spaces and other kinds of things like that um but that probably says something too that i've always like found i've always integrated like playing games yeah. into where i live and things like that um similar to you i grew up with playstation mm. as a like 
family console and that's kind of been a pretty constant way that mm. I have played games throughout my life. I don't I didn't have a PlayStation 3, mm. I think. That one we missed. We we had like a Wii U or something. I don't know. <laughs> like that was a that was a time. But um yeah, like pl- PlayStation 1, 2, 4 and 5, mm. there I've I've had them and that's how I've played a lot of games mm. um to be honest. So yeah, same that's uh, like gaming has been kind of like a lounge room activity, something that usually has been done when other people mm. are around or at least around a little bit. Um, yeah, I I also play, I have a Switch as well, yes. which is great. I've, that's been, that's a great thing, I mm. think, as well. And it perhaps in a similar way to, like, the ROG Ally, like, just, just a way to play games when you, like, I don't really like just sitting in a room on my own, so. Yeah, um, I feel a bit isolating. Like. Yeah, like, so, sometimes, but, mm. like, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to do that elsewhere. Take it with you if you're traveling or something like that. I do have actually. So my partner and I moved into a new place mm. just over a year ago, actually, and um, it's, it's the biggest place we've <laughs> lived in. So um, yeah, I've actually got a little. I have like a little office in the house where I've got like my books, mm. and that's been kind of nice because it's the first time for years actually that. I've, you know, you collect, like, little trinkets, like, traveling mm. and stuff like that. And I've kind of had a place to just, like, plonk all that stuff mm. that doesn't really go anywhere else. Um, so I've got, you know, like, stuff I've got from traveling in, like, That's Asia and Europe right. and stuff like that. I have to admit, when we finally yeah. got those little, uh, like, picture frame shelves, the little skinny oh, yeah. ones above, and yeah. it totally transformed the space. Because yeah. you look, when you're frustrated or whatever, you're working, and you look up, and you're like, oh, it's all my nice things that I love. And it yeah. totally changes how you yeah. feel. No, yeah. Which is why I'm like, I, I, I like the, um, I like that people are making these little mm. nice spaces where they work and play games and things like that. I think, again, not to harp on about it, but especially when people couldn't go anywhere, like yeah. creating those spaces was probably a little bit of a bomb for for people. Um, yeah, but I've got like, you know, I've got like my little love disc, Pokemon Plushie. So I love Love Disc <laughs> so much. It's like the silliest Pokemon. <laughs> With the best name. Yeah. So honest. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like I've got, I don't have too many pop vinyls, but I do have a Garrus Vicarian <laughs> one, which... Uh, has traveled with me like everywhere, Aww. so like that's where that is. Um, my little like no face from Spirited Away, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and I actually, so maybe I'm on my way to creating like a little space because the like most important recent contribution is like it's like the best <laughs> thing ever. Um, so like I don't know, there's I'm sure there's a specific name, but like the ergonomic mouse mats that are like instead boob of mats. boob mats, yeah, <laughs> instead of like just having like plain places to put your wrists, they're like like anime titties and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, every time you say it's got a word, I'm like. Um, and then uh, I found one on Etsy, and it, it's one of those, but it's it's Ayato from Genshin Impact, but he's got, like, two bubble tees, and they're, like, <laughs> they're, like the boobs. I don't like, know, I'm not explaining this This is well. genius. It's no, it literally, okay, so instead of boobs, it's a male character holding two bubba, bubba tea <laughs> cups. Yeah? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, I was like, it's stunning. This is hilarious and creative, and I respect that somebody it's, came up with this. I saw it, and was like... There was like there was three left in the store, and I was like, "Well, buy that not, without even a second thought." So I guess in a way, like may, maybe it's like an age thing, but I'm kind of like, I'm hoping not to move for a bit. So like, um, yeah. So that that's kind of nice. I think, um, 
Yeah, I, I do play a little bit on PC. Like, H mm. games and stuff like that are nice on PC. Uh, but yeah, I'm probably, at least now, not always, mm. but, you know, mostly as an adult, I've played console for the plug-and-play reason. Mm. You can take it with you, you can plug it in, done. It like, you know, that's... that's Until we had, like, a few games that started crashing, and then I, I, I got so mad. And then I was like, it's yeah. not plug-and-play anymore, and I got so frustrated, and that <laughs> yeah. started to be when we turned back to the game having a PC. No, I understand. I think, like, there is a kind of frustration where it's like, <laughs> it says one job and it's not doing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, games, like, like I played, uh, when I, like, when I lived with my parents, like, growing up, I did play in my room, mm. like, most kids, I guess, and that was usually on a laptop. Mm. Like, that's how I played, you know, formative games, like Mass Effect and The Sims <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, um... Yeah, I, I also, because it kind of links some of the things that I'm interested in in mm. terms of, uh, I guess, like, what this co- this contemporary woolly idea of, like, a gamer identity and stuff like that um, is, as I mentioned, people like Reberg and Xavier mm. Ho who are looking at, like, how many queer LGBT mm. tagged games there are and things like that. Um, and I, I just wanted to note, that, like, I think for me growing up, it's different now. It's very mm. different now, but, like... Video games were the first place that I came across, like, bisexuality Mm. ever. Like, it Mm. wasn't something that was on TV. Like, it wasn't... This was, like, a bit before, like, Adventure Time, like, Marceline and things like that. You know, like, these things were... And if they were there, they weren't overtly indicated that that's what it was. Mm. So I just think that, for me, has always been, like, a notable kind of thing that Mm. games have done I suppose they've kind of explored things that maybe other media weren't yeah around the same time period weren't necessarily exploring or like yeah and like something that like um her mentions in a paper that they did with a few other people is that like obviously like games like the sims dragon age stuff like that they're pretty like there are kind of like limitations to mm. how much like or how like well well done air quotes like mm. that kind of representation was. But I was like, but also like it wasn't like it was kind of hard to find. Yeah, like, it was there. Where so yeah, I think yeah. um yeah, I just thought I would know that because I I think like in terms of like the gaming space, mm. like these like private places that people have constructed, it's interesting that like it wasn't visible and like. TV, which you might watch your mm. family, but it was visible in these kind of like enclosed mm. worlds that you could just play quietly. Well, well thinking of it, I remember because I was into Buffy when I was in high school, mm. and I was like, after Buffy was a thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Was, you okay, know, because yeah. it kind of came. Yeah, we were, I was yeah. quite young when yeah. it. Yeah, the, my I mom loved Buffy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Willow and Tara were like, yes, I remember that they were right. the first lesbian yeah. couple ever on TV. I think that's or something. true. And yeah. I was like, you know, that's, that's a really good point. That's pretty crazy. And I remember yeah. that being like a little fact I picked up when I watched it, and that really sticking with me as being yeah. like, you know, it hasn't been that long yeah. since people started having more variety. It, exactly. You know? like, yeah, and I yeah. think um, I think it's the same with games as well. Mm. Like I feel like it's quite, at least for me, like I find it quite easy to find games that have all kinds of representation mm. in them now. Still not perfect, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's, there's there's a greater volume of games, things like that. But It also makes yeah. me think of it... I don't know if this is a clumsy thing to suggest, but mm. I'm just spitballing a bit. Mm-hmm. But just even, like, the amount of BL and stuff content, that's all in every fandom. Yeah. Because women are into it. I don't know. That's yeah. just a thing. Like, 
the, I always say, every time I look at this, like, you come across stuff mm-hmm. or look at fan conversations, I always say to Harris, I'm like, you don't see lesbian relationships anywhere near yeah, as much. Right. And I was like, this is really interesting to me. Yeah. Or, like, women, yeah. women relationships, whatever. Yeah. And, like, I find that really interesting. And I was always like, I need to ask someone, tell me what all that's about. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just every now and then I kind of think, oh, that's funny. In my experience, yeah. I had, you know. Yeah, there's still, like, there, there's, like, and I, again, this is a clumsy suggestion, but there's a kind of, there's a little bit of a misogyny towards, like. Yeah. Relation- a yeah. little, a little. The whole, like, <laughs> I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm still, I won't say where it was, but I'm still salty because I really wanted to write a piece on Judy Alvarez. And yeah. Seven because I love her so much and it didn't get picked up and I was like, ah, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it was a pitch, not a mm. thing, but um, yeah, anyways. We'll pitch it somewhere else. That's <laughs> what we're um, yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just something that... You're right. If anyone... I don't know. I'm kind of interested to read I, stuff on that. I'm trying so. to, like... I have read a little bit on that phenomena. Mm. I, my brain is, like... Uh, it's it stored it <laughs> somewhere that's inaccessible <laughs> to me right now. Um, but, yes, I think it is... I think it is really interesting. Mm. It's an interesting aspect of fandom culture, especially... Yeah. I'm going to say English-speaking fandom culture because I don't really know so it's definitely much a thing in... Like Japan? Yeah, Japan like and that. China. I say Japan well. because, like, Sean can actually read what's going Not on. Not that I'm reading. <laughs> I, I, I might, I'm just hazarding a guess. But I'm saying, like, my, like, sometimes, like, um, on Twitter and stuff like that, I'll see posts yeah. by people, like, like writing in Japanese, and there is, like, the inbuilt translate feature, and sometimes I'm like, okay, like, I think this is, like, let's call... S- Somewhat accurate. I'm not getting like the whole I think story I get the here. Juice. Yes, yeah. That's all that is. <laughs> you still have they've uploaded a picture or something. So yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about. Anyways, that's totally besides the point. Um, yeah. So let's talk a bit about some of the academic mm, literature we've Scholarship. We found. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I found a couple pe- um, articles. The, because of my work, there's mm-hmm. a hell of a lot. So I yeah. just picked these two because I thought they were nice yep. points. Cool. Um, so Baudreau has uh, a book chapter called Beyond mm-hmm. Fun, Transgressive Gameplay, Toxic and Problematic Player Behaviour as Boundary Keeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because, again, it's like ter- ter- territorialization. It's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. And identity and stuff, but kind of like what, what uh, constitutes your mm. right to claim that. Yeah. So there's a quote here I'll read out. Yeah. And they said, there are individuals who are very actively create their identity around the activity of digital gameplay and around the culture and lifestyle of gameplay and who maintain the boundaries of that culture through skill and expertise level, yeah. language and inside knowledge, and even the use of fashion cues. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. And they continue, to those who embrace and identify with the term gamer, mm-hmm. it signals an affiliation with a particular group of people who not only share a passion, skill, and knowledge, but also identify with a particular kind of, in brackets, consumer yeah. lifestyle. And I was sitting, I'm sitting here in my Magic Carp t-shirt, being like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it is, I get that, because there's a lot of like older uh, content on gamer identity, it's all about skill, and there's this mm. definitely knowledge of being like, like, who knows how to beat this boss or who knows yeah. the stats or whatever, ever. And, but also this idea, that I thought it was interesting, they specifically said fashion cues and yeah. it's a consumer lifestyle. Because um, to a great extent, time tends to be like, time playing games is yeah. like 
the significant factor generally mm-hmm. in terms of whether or how people identify as a player. But yeah. I was really interested in the consumer aspect, um, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, kind of related to that, Parole and Voss, um, yeah. they had a paper called Meta Journalistic Discourse on the Rise of yeah. Gaming Journalism. So it's basically like, what is gaming journalism about? What do they yeah. do? Um, and they said it's a type of lifestyle journalism uh-huh. concerned with arts and culture. Gaming coverage provides symbolic value to art forms and cultural objects. Mm-hmm. As such, news coverage of games is a kind of taste-making. Mm. I was like, okay, sure. Okay. Yep. Gaming journalists play a role in disseminating and legitimizing cultural products, evaluating what can be considered, in uh, air quotes, good taste. Mm. This is yeah. really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Because I have to be... I don't... A lot of Gamergate... Let's not get into that too much. A lot of gamers get complaints for about games journalism. I don't yes. read games journalism. Yeah. At all. Interesting. And I've tried and didn't like it. Because <laughs> so, I tend That's to be... You, <laughs> how dare anyone tell me to think? Or tell me how to think, sorry. Well, it's just the thing for me where I'm like, I, you could put it in three dot points. Don't make me read. Yeah. Like, efficiency, people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I will just... Yeah, yeah, as well, Like, something that I find... I find... I, I dislike it in all kinds of uh, sort of reviewing and like critical writing on like mm. arts and culture and things like that, including games. Is is like number and star systems. So like uh. like this game is a nine, or this game is a seven, or this this exhibition was a five. And I I say this both like observationally. I think I think it, it's it's just impossible to actually represent mm. a quantify thing. quite yes. so much. Yeah. yeah. Um. And on top of that, like I. A little bit less now, but, like, I have written, like, theatre and, like, exhibition reviews and stuff Mm. like that in the past and have been asked to assign uh, a score. Um, And, you know, like, the places I've written for, there is usually, like, in in the back end. I was like, this is what these Mm. numbers mean to us. Mm. Like, and, like, yeah, but I also, I I dislike evaluating someone's Mm. creative work through that system. And I don't, yeah. So I think, um, but I... I, I'm thinking like. I think it's a slightly faded away, but at certain times it's been like, oh, IGN gave this a seven and a nine, and it's because they yeah. like this kind of game and not that one, and whatever. And then there was this whole thing with they're like everybody gets a ten or something. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. and it, like when I wrote the, mo- I haven't written many reviews this year. I used to write a lot more. Mm. Um, the only one I've really done, and it was. It was more of a feature. Was when I wrote on. I was a teenage exocolonist for Games Hub, um, and Edmund was like, it "Sounds like you think this is a five. And I was like, "Like five out of five mm. stars." And I was like, "Yeah," but like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I guess like and like it was. I think mm. it's excellent. Um, but I could have just said, "This is ex. This yeah, is excellent." You, I as you a, feel the need. To I attach. as someone with expertise in this field feel like this was very well mm. composed, <laughs> and I know that doesn't work very well for like tweets and stuff like that mm. but yeah um, yeah it's just a bit of a like, thing i have i understand that like because you always like for me the number okay mm-hmm. but i need to understand why so i always need at least a sentence per element they're going to assess or whatever mm-hmm. you know like it's yeah because it's not the number's not enough yeah like and i think like well, this pro and Voss paper they kind of said well that early game journalism is very much like that like a yeah. buyer's guide and that still exists right yeah but yeah. now even more there's yeah. like, they say there's like soft news, mm-hmm. so like uh, more opinion, more advice, more entertaining. Yeah. And for me, like, so I have a Feedly set up that I generally try to read every Friday, just to mm-hmm. s- super skim because yeah. there's too way too much crap on there. I have yeah, to say, sure. and just to get the gist of is there anything I should pay attention mm-hmm. to. 
And always there's like game uh, news places like Kotaku and that. Mm-hmm. Always have like, they'll have posts about anime, <laughs> posts yeah. about cool things in Japan, and posts about yeah. food. And I'm always like, this is the thing, right? This is the. Uh, adjacent gaming adjacent hobbies and interests that people tend to have that consumer lifestyle stuff um and i find that yeah Yeah. and i'm like yeah i'm a weeb (laughs) like i'm into japan (laughs) i (laughs) (laughs) I obviously like food but like to me uh, for for me and look i'm already off on a bad foot because i don't like games journalism in general anyway not Mm -hmm. because i have a vendetta against them i just find it too much noise yeah sure and i'm kind of yeah yeah yeah. i'm just like it's too much i don't need any of this Mm -hmm. i've got to find my own things i like you know um so i kind of was like it's interesting because we talk about time as being the factor for the someone identifies as a gamer but then we also have the time that's spent engaging or reading about adjacent products yeah then like what do you consume and i hate this like Products and consume makes it sound like it's hell calculated. Mm. It's like I like Pokemon. Someone has bought me a P- Magic Cup T-shirt for my birthday. It's not that. Yeah. It's like we don't want to read too much into it. Like it's not a super super calculated thing. But you're like, well, people like to have things of things they like. It's, it's not that. Common. I think that's a really interesting. I just think mm. that's like a fascinating way to articulate that. Is that like, like gamer identity has kind of is is also formed by these adjacent mm. hobbies like not just the fact that you play games and things like that and I was thinking it links really well to some of the scholarship we were talking about in our last episode on cuteness mm. in terms of like the the appeal of like the kawaii aesthetic and stuff like that because something I find I guess okay two things I find mm. striking that I guess link to this is one a lot of the sort of uh, air quotes again girl gamer kind of like gaming setups are clearly influenced by like kaiwai mm, aesthetics very um, much kaiwai characters cute a lot of like sailor moon and card captor yes yeah. yeah and like on the one hand i'm like it is true that at least um you know for like especially if you grew up watching things like sailor moon mm. and stuff like that like there's so much nostalgia oh, for um, sure. yeah. wasted in things like pokemon and sailor moon and all those kinds of stuff so like that that is a dimension too but also like <laughs> That aesthetic has kind of gone outside of those bounds too, and the kind mm. of like glowy lights, pastel mm. colors, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's really interesting, and this is slightly parallel to that, but something that we have been talking about a little bit is vtubing. Mm. Um, yeah, that that aesthetic too being something that is very much like a derivative of anime mm. style, but is accessible to anyone from anywhere like sort of everyone kind of ends up looking the same we can all be anime characters if we really want to yes yeah (laughs) that which is an interesting aspiration and desire which erica kanasaka Mm. gets to a little bit um in her work but yeah no i i think i think that's i think it's fascinating and Mm. it's good that you mentioned like at least like for you, like anecdotally, there's not, not always like a calculation in yeah. in constructing that identity. It's um, yeah, it's 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 because you love something, mm. but that love of something is also in. Embedded with other things, yeah. Yeah. Especially, like, I've always, always made jokes about this. I'm like, I'm a little bit of a hoarder. I'm not yeah. too bad, but I like trinkets. You do and like I, trinkets, you know. yeah. Whereas I know I have friends who are, like, just as into games if I am, yeah. if not more. And they're a bit more minimalist, you know? Yeah. So they're, and I was like, so I feel like I don't want to, I think we don't want to say, oh, everyone's hoarding crap yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of 
every merchandise they can yeah. find. It's not the case, but there's definitely something to be said for... I mean, look at look at EB mm-hmm. Games and that now. They're all mm-hmm. Zing Pop, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're, like, making heaps from that. There's all yeah. these, like, merchandise things available now. So... I think it's, like, not necessarily unusual compared to other Mm. interests, but maybe there's just a lot of it. I think also it's a, let's say, um, you know, speaking in, like, something, um, there's a couple of things I've read recently that I've spoken about how... Oh, whose book was it? Ah! (laughs) I didn't make it in my notes because I wasn't planning to talk about it, but... Um, I will I will double check and find mm. out. But how like, because people have been writing about this, how in the eighties when like gaming was like an arcade kind mm. of activity, it was quite communal and mm. like actually was very welcome to all kinds of different mm. people. Because mm. the idea was that like you could go there on like a date or yeah. to hang out with friends, and it was actually you watch people do it. Yeah, like, the person yeah. who was writing about this, I'm so sorry. I will I will have to dig this out because it was a really interesting piece was like it was actually less gendered mm-hmm. like at that time so originally mm-hmm. it seems and at least if we're talking in like a US context perhaps that gaming wasn't about being a particular yeah. gender or anything like that um, and then the so that that was one kind of like image of the gamer and then obviously we have like going to like the 90s yep. and early 2000s companies repositioning slightly mm-hmm. to appeal to um, a, a younger male. Was the book coin-operated Americans? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and this has come to my head because I yeah. I definitely cited them when I was talking. Because although mm. the ads and stuff were like, there was adult, all ages yeah, and gender. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, my brain is a little bit like out that's of okay. step because <laughs> the, the Degra Seville conference is on in the evening. So if I'm checking what's going on, I'm <laughs> up at like slightly odd hours. So I apologize, but it, it no, well could have okay. been. It yeah, well could have yeah. been. Um, yeah. And then, oh, do you know where it might have appeared actually in that Ready Player Two book? By yeah, Chris? actually, yeah. I think maybe yeah. this is where I was reading this initially, and then maybe I came mm. across it um, in your notes elsewhere too. Yeah, and then you've got like the sort, and then then there comes like the the image of the the person in the basement or whatever, which is which is very American because you don't usually it was very have, American. You don't usually have basements. It was in like Australia, for example. Very Sony and Sega because for the first Nintendo in particular started doing some dividing over yeah. gender because mm-hmm. it was like marketization yeah. essentially. Yeah. And then yeah, then you had a lot of it with Sega and Sony being like, oh they're like boy they're teenage boys very yes, much. Yeah. And they started doing a bit like obviously Nintendo's a bit lighter yeah. gameplay style. Yeah. These these were a bit more uh Mm, I don't know, a bit more action-packed, yeah, let's say. sure. And, yeah, then it yeah. started heading in that direction. Yeah. yeah. So, for me, and then obviously there's loads of other things, other stuff happening around that. <laughs> so like, simplistic view. But, but now it seems like what the, the dominant visual, perhaps, is that sort of, like, aestheticized, mm. like, very personal, very, like, closed-off space, but... Um, and, and still one that is contending with various different, like, gender dynamics mm. and things like that. But I, that is seeming to be at the moment like the construct of the gamer is linked to those like glowy lights yeah and, um, yeah 
the RGB. You yes, know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is which is to go back to where you start, like where you, it's the idea of a particular kind of consumer mm, brackets mm. lifestyle as well as a skill and sort of like hobby based mm. lifestyle, which I think is really interesting. Mm. Yeah. What about what about the stuff that you found? Oh, um, I'm excited okay. to hear more about VTubing and Twitch streaming and things oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Well, I had, um, as I mentioned, like this, like, I, I feel like you know more than me <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but, like, but, like, in, in this area in particular, like, it's, it's so I, I did do a little bit of reading um, around Twitch because mm. I think for me, the if we're talking about like gaming lifestyle, mm. the increase invisibility of streaming and popularity of streaming as as a job mm. um, is something that I find really interesting. And we, yeah, I've already mentioned, we talked about Bo Ruberg in our episode on failure. Mm. Um, but they have also published a few articles recently on live streaming and two that I, two that I read like relatively closely. One was Live Play, Live Sex, the parallel labors of video game live streaming and webcam modeling. <laughs> Bang an article. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Um, and then the other one was one they wrote with another scholar called Live Streaming from the Bedroom, Performing Intimacy Through Domestic Space on Twitch. Um, I'm going to talk mostly about that one because mm-hmm. I think it's slightly closer to the sort of things we're talking about, like what it means to be a gamer, what kind of, mm-hmm. uh, how is time, identity, space, all those kind of things structured. Um, that article, live streaming from the bedroom, really like it's it's a study of mm-hmm. people, uh, of streamers, but it also reflects on the blurring between everyday life and work mm-hmm. when it comes to things like playing games and stuff like that. Um, and particularly, particularly in the context of the last few years and especially in the context of like the specific kinds of labor that mm. uh, are, are performed and, and done when one plays games for other people to watch, which is, mm. you know, we've talked about how that's, that's kind of, I think for most people who play games, they probably have watched I think family so. members, yeah. siblings, friends, whatever, sit together, play a game, whether multiplayer or just yeah. um, fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this, like this article talks about the bedroom, both like mm. as a literal thing that is present in streams and sort of a conceptual mm. idea that like uh, that that's where streaming takes mm. place, even if even if it's um, not visible in the mm-hmm. stream because mm-hmm. of the kind of like intimate space that it indicates. Um, and they the quote the sort of they say that the bedroom is both a physical location that stream is broadcast from. And a conceptual space that structures the practices, aesthetics, and place-related norms of live streaming on Twitch, which I think we've talked a little bit about, mm. like um, through other scholars as well, and just through like anecdotally our own mm. experience. That, like, the the norms of live streaming, the norms of playing, link to like when was it, when was it normal to go to the arcade to play games? When mm. was it normal to normal equates <laughs> to like being a basement and mm. being quite isolated and things like that? And what what that looks like now in the context of contemporary Mm. gaming and things like that. Um, And they write that the bedroom sets the type of expectations for the type of spatial and emotional access the stream is imagined Mm. to offer to viewers. Um, And Lark and Ruberg Lark is the other scholar who was working on this paper. Um, they, they, They sort of put forward the idea that even when a streamer is not streaming from a bedroom, um, and they set out certain 
they, they're very good at being like, it's not a perfect methodology because it's hard to mm. know exactly what's happening behind the scenes in these different spaces. They have certain like markers for when they consider something like bedroom enough. <laughs> do you, do yeah. you know what I mean? It's, you have to establish a system, yes, right? It's yeah. a system. Um, they say even when streamers not streaming from the bedroom, all live streaming can be understood as streaming from the bedroom because the idea of streaming from the bedroom, that is like inviting viewers to like quite an intimate personal mm. space, sets the terms for the kind of uh, spatial and emotional access the live stream has to offer. Mm. Um, which I just. I, I thought was really, it's, it's an interesting way of thinking about something that I think is kind of important mm. and I think is indicative of um, all kinds of changes in labor and the mm. way people perceive gamers and who's allowed to game and how people get treated when they're gaming and all this kind of stuff. Um, anyways, they, they found... <laughs> the way <I've, laughs> This is not how they articulated, but like they, the highest concentration of like the way I understood what they were saying is like visible bedroom apparatus. Mm. So like things like, you know, like literally a bed or mm. things like like plushies or stuff mm. like that. Um, the, the highest, most of the places where that occurred were in, um, on Twitch, were just chatting, which is when the streamer mm. just kind of chats, as implied, um, and ASMR mm. streams as well. It was very, very common to see them there. And they note that, um, there was mostly feminine streamers mm. in those spaces and who were doing that kind of work. Um, by contrast, and which I thought was really interesting, the what the streams that they observed, often video game streamers didn't literally show like the bedroom apparatus and they, um, yeah, they had like a green screen mm. or things like that. And I will note as well that this papers from 2021, the other one's from 2022. Neither of them really talk about VTubing because VTubing is such a new mm. trend. So these were really written before the emergence of that trend being really dominant, mm. but I think some of the findings can apply mm -hmm. also to that. Um, yeah, that the streams tended to include, this is for video game streamers, uh, other sort of more generic, less intimate domestic spaces, such as like offices, living rooms, things like that or excluding the surroundings of the streamer entirely. So them not actually being visible in the game mm -hmm. or them being like sort of like just a cutout of them yeah. on the green screen yeah. in the corner, it's just quite common. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was a striking and interesting observation. And they also say um, where, so then like sort of going down a little bit deeper to that, Players who were streaming games like Stardew Valley mm. and Animal Crossing. Cozy games. Cozy <laughs> games. <laughs> um, still, like, even if they weren't technically bedrooms, they performed qualities of bedroomness. Mm. They also noted that um, a higher capacity of streaming of those games had, like, LGBT mm. tags on them. Also kind of an interesting... That's interesting. Yes, yeah, I, I thought so. Um... But to sort of like come back to the idea of like the game of setup and all that kind of thing, they note that often when streams are visibly in the bedroom, they're sort of like soft surfaces and pink or purple mm. lighting and things like that. But the quali those qualities, those kinds of um, things were also common in non-bedroom spaces, yeah. if that makes sense. Even though they 
they imply a sense of bedroomness. I guess it, it's turning that space into like an intimate space. It's like okay, what makes it comfortable, cozy, yes. nice to look at? Like, yes. Yeah. So I think like part of the thesis is that streamers sort of, or the ones they observed, were applying bedroomness mm. to streams even outside of that. Um, and I liked this quote um, the, about a League of Legends and Minecraft streams that they observed with pink and purple lighting that gave them an almost romantic <laughs> glow, which I thought was, which I thought was a really nice way of articulating that. It's interesting too because those games, to me, like League of Legends, is like <laughs> it's really yeah. fast, it's yeah. aggressive, yeah. it's full on. Yeah. It uses big loud colors it's dark yeah. it's red and minecraft is like okay I, I guess to be honest you have different textures and things you mm-hmm. could there's there's tech this pastel minecraft textures right yeah. that that it's interesting to me because they seem quite different this mm. pink and purple soft lighting in these specific games i'm yeah. like that doesn't work to me what is that yeah so it's i feel like it's interesting because then the design is about the player not so much the game maybe something and this is slightly outside of what this article puts forward, but something I also find interesting about the like RGB lighting, mm. it's not always pink and purple, obviously, no, yeah. um, but just, just its presence where like that might be like the primary source of lighting or like the neons, mm. you know, people get like custom neon signs mm. behind them, which I think is really cute. Like I, I'm gonna say like, I like this stuff, like, um, <laughs> but something I like, there is to me an allusion to perhaps like an almost cyberpunky kind mm. of aesthetic. And to go a little bit further, uh, reminiscent of like nightclubs and mm. stuff like that, which to me are also spaces which are intimate, spaces of performance, spaces where you're close to And other also people. spaces where you probably don't you don't know the vast majority of the people yes. there. So it's yeah. this weird kind of intimate and yet you don't know these people. Yeah. And that's so interesting. So that yeah. I mean that observation like obviously sits kind of in contrast to this thesis about it being bedroom-like. But then again, I mean, like, how much of nightclubs are meant to give that yeah. feeling of, like, bedroomness as well? Like, mm. that's that's worth thinking about, too. Maybe they're not necessarily, like, yeah. distinct judgments. But, yeah, this, this idea of a constructed space for certain kinds of intimacy mm. with streamers is really, like, what's the word you, like... Juicy. Juicy. That's, my, that's been my favorite word at the moment. When I find something really interesting, I'm like, hey, this is juicy. Yeah, and it is. And I think, like, I think the reason, like, in this article, Rubeck and Lark say that it's important is because, like, this is, this is a pretty, this is a big industry, mm. actually. Kind of, to some degree, under quite different regulations and things like that to work. It doesn't, not, not all the policies about work and rights and things like that mm. are applicable or suited. And it really depends on the platform, right? Yes. Platforms managing all these things. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I know recently there was a lot of kickback from streamers mm. on Twitch because they they were changing they 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 I think they went to change the monetization and mm. then they pulled it back because they people were just like, Well I won't work here mm. anymore which is yeah, like very managed by the by the platform but also uh, a different relation between an upper equity employees of the platform because that's kind of what mm. they can be sometimes or or like contractors of the platform is probably more accurate to say. Um, yeah, so it's a slightly different dynamic than mm. say in like a 
corporate workplace where you have office hierarchical structures, mm. things like that. Yeah, so th- I think, I think, um, and I think a lot of the aesthetics we've been talking about, the newer aesthetics of like battle stations and mm. stuff like that, comes a little bit from Twitch streaming culture yeah, too. Yeah, for so sure. It's like, I think it's like a pretty rich place to think mm. about like what people are. And pe- people are like, you know, they yeah. look at these and they get ideas. They're like, yeah. oh, I want my space to feel really nice like that. And yeah. it, it's, it's like, it's another aspect of a hobby, I suppose. Yeah. It's like, it, you're, it's, it's like constructing spaces. You're like, yeah. a, what do you say? You're in a designer or, you know, yes. it's another thing that you yeah. can engage in and get, and get tips with or whatever. Like people always asking on GoM is like, oh, where's this particular, like, um, pinup board, that type of stuff, you know, yeah. pegboards and stuff. Where did you yeah. get that from? This mm-hmm. is from Ikea. You can do this cool mm-hmm. stuff with it. It's a whole another pocket. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's a quote. They, they cite another scholar in this article who was publishing in the 1990s and saying how, like, the, like, the television changed certain spaces of the home into exhibition spaces, mm. the phrase they use. Um, and Ruberg and Lark are like, this, this is kind Look of what is happening. Look at it now, it's that on steroids. Yes, yeah, so like, it's kind yeah. of what, like, is happening with video games mm. and as a, as a medium now is that, like, to some degree, the space you play games in is an exhibition space where you can be seen, mm. I guess, or like looked at, which is, yeah, it's it's very interesting to me. And and the other, you might find this bit interesting too, is um, they talk about how, like, the origins of this kind of like performance on webcam mm. sort of seems to have started with women, like mm. in like. Um, sort of the, the introduction of, like, the internet into, like, mm. home spaces and stuff like that, and women who were, like, um, you know, using it to share experiences, wasn't, journal, wasn't also webcamming, so, like, sex yeah, work and stuff like that. There was a really famous, one of the first people, and I cannot remember anything, but if you Google it, it'll come up. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the first mm. people to do this, it was, like, had the webcam on literally all the time in the college room. Ah, it was like it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they they say, um, yeah. The, this is this is a direct quote, not mm. my words. That the fact that the bedroom looms large in live streaming, even when it is not physically present, suggests that streaming itself might be seen as a feminine coded practice that carries an erotic charge, both exemplified in and carried over from the bedroom, um, and. Yeah, calling attention to the appearance of bedrooms on Twitch is also a way to draw out these connections mm. between live streaming, which is often associated with young male gamers and the earlier practices that shaped them, led by women testing the boundaries of intimacy by broadcasting their lives on the internet from mm. their bedrooms. Um, yeah, it's, I think I recommend mm. both of these articles for thinking about streaming. Um, but yeah, I, I think... The fact that, ever, like, uh, making a nice home is not a new concept, no. but, but there are certain dimensions of it which are sort of aware of, um, mm. aware of communities of mm. players and what, what a player looks like and all that kind of thing, which I think mm. is... And getting inspiration from that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, that's the thing. It's, like, not necessarily... It's hard. You're not trying to say, like, people are just going, oh, well, that's what a gamer does, so I should do it. It's actually looking yeah. at pictures and being like, I actually really like that. I'm yes. gonna, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think sometimes when I talk about it, it's, it's always dangerous 
to like accidentally imply that mm-hmm. yeah people are trying mm-hmm. like we're gonna conform and be basic and blah, blah, blah. but no 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 not yeah. like that at all it's a shared hobby it's a shared yeah. passion yeah. yeah yeah and it's the enjoyment of certain aesthetics and stuff right mm-hmm. it all comes together yeah oh the last the last little bit we want to touch on just before we wrap up because mm. there's so much we could talk about but um that i just wanted to mention something that i'm really interested in i find really interesting in terms of thinking about um gaming lifestyles is the increase of like video game exhibitions and mm-hmm. stuff like that and also like communities coming together um through those exhibitions so i know the sydney powerhouse museum they have video game powerhouse lights which mm-hmm. like are open to like the gaming community which includes professionals designers mm-hmm. as well as players it's something we've already mentioned a little bit from the uh symposium is something that yang jing talked about as well in China and Hong Kong and stuff like that. Um, she's currently running something called the Game Kitchen in Hong Kong, which was every Thursday night, like an open space for people to come and talk about games. And I'm like, that's really interesting to mm. me. Like, I don't think always, especially when you talk to people outside of, I guess, our sort of like field and mm. networks and stuff like that, they don't necessarily always see like the creative practice of games like that, you know, whereas like people are used to things like, writers groups and stuff mm. like that but actually there that is I think a really important um, and interesting space that that's, that's where games are being made that's where mm. ideas are coming together um, and yeah the other one there's 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 all kinds and less thing but of course the one we mentioned already the Pride at Play exhibition mm. in Melbourne um, which sort of features a whole bunch of LGBT queer video games, depending on how they're defined by the designers and things like that, mm. um, and kind of sort of celebrates and reflects on that space, like what it has been in the past, what it is now, what it might be in the future. Um, yeah, so I wanted to note that, I guess. Because yeah, because I, well, really I didn't know any of this stuff existed until we watched. Like, I was like, there's a lot going on, yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, I think for me, something. Uh, an exhibition that was impactful for me was the Design Play Disrupt one that happened at the Victoria and Albert Museum mm. in London. Um, and one of the curators, uh, Chloe Appleby, who's at the Powerhouse Museum, mm. when she did her talk, she had interviewed one of the curators. And I was like, I'm so jealous because that was <laughs> such a great exhibition. Um, yeah, but I think, I guess my thesis research looks at games as art forms and how we like articulate that and things like that. And so these exhibition spaces that are not exclusive, but actually very inclusive and very sort of like usually run by people who really want to say like, hey, like look at the artistic kind of like mm. complexity of these works and look at the kind of people behind them and um, kind of celebrate it as an art form. I think are really exciting. And, mm. and again, like perhaps a slightly different conception of gaming lifestyle mm-hmm. to even some of the other stuff we've spoken about, I guess, like mm-hmm. games as art, games designers as artists is interesting. Mm-hmm. And people who play games as being enjoyers of art is probably yes. <laughs> actually something that maybe is less common. To, I mean, like, people people wouldn't realize necessarily, but actually, yeah, you know, yeah. like, especially yeah. it's, it's like the game design, but it's also the art in the game. And yes. I mean that quite literally, like the design of the environment, yes. it looks very pretty or like the yeah. music or whatever. All yeah. these things are forms of art. Like. Yeah, I, I think to play a game and to appreciate it is, is appreciating art. Mm. And it's not like a leap. Like people 
people who play games know how impactful things like music, mm. design, space, all these kinds of things, how they contribute to, um, yeah, to the feel of the work. Mm. And I'm like, that's appreciating art. You're, yeah, you're thinking yeah. about it in that way. Um, so yeah, that's that's very cool to me. Mm. And I think something I wanted to note, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, I guess like bouncing off the Pride at Play exhibition, something that we've touched on a little bit as well in terms of like the evolution of mm. gaming lifestyle, gaming identity is, is the idea of like queer games, mm. um, queer designers, queer stories, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I guess in my circles, like of people who play games, I'm always kind of like, yeah, like it's great. Like there's so many more mm. than there was, like it's a, it's a different space to mm. what it was five years ago, <clears throat> 10 years ago, that kind of thing. And I read a, um, article by uh, Ho Escobar and Tran, Queer Indie Games on itch.io, 2013 to mm. 22. So a pretty recent study. Um, and something that I found really striking was just in the context of my own bias and mm. things like that, is they looked at, uh, they looked at games that were tagged LGBT mm-hmm. on, on itch. I think that was the main I think that was the main identifier that they used. And they said between 2013 and 2022, Itch distributed more than two and a half thousand games published with the tag LGBT mm. by independent creators, which, yeah, sounds That's a, lot. a lot. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I feel like it's not hard to find them on Itch, which mm. is great. Um, but then they followed that up, which is something that I thought was really interesting, um, was that despite that figure, they're actually quite a small portion mm. of the games published on Itch. So as of April 2022, Itch had distributed 530,000 games, which actually gave queer indie games about 0.47% of the marketplace. It's quite shocking. And when you mentioned this to me, I was like, yeah. oh, because when I search, sometimes I search like top of whatever yeah. year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like half of them mm-hmm. are LGBT games. So then I'm wondering yeah. like, is there less, but they tend to be the bigger ones? Mm-hmm. Is it the, and also I've noticed on each there's a lot of um, mm. horror games, like little little Which ones, experimental. Yeah. And I was like, is it is that like, is it a playground for these kinds of things? So that yeah. there's a lot of the, like, I'm not like, the stats are fascinating and I don't mean to like discount mm. it. I more mean, it'd be interesting to dive deeper into them and be like, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, um, Cause yeah, it was surprised. Yeah. Not to self plug, but we do talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> we do actually. Um, we do talk about like um, horror and romance and things like that. Mm. Uh, keep, keep your eyes out for that <laughs> one. Um, yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I, I guess to me there is there is there is a space in gaming for LGBT and queer mm. players and designers, which is great. Um, but it is, I think, good to like literally be like, okay, but that space is still pretty small. Yeah, actually. yeah, um, yeah. And something else they talk about, which uh, I th- also thought was interesting, because we've spoken about mm. the Last of Us Part Two. Obviously, because yes. you published on it and everything like that. Um, and they sort of talk about that there is actually, I, I think a lot of RPGs have kind of introduced some, uh, at least the possibility to, even if briefly engage mm. um, in a in a um, queer relationship mm. and thinking like Assassin's Creed and all mm. that kind of mm. stuff where it's kind of in there. And they, they do say that there is 
there's a difference between games that sort of do it on that surface level and ones that are actually telling yeah. these stories. And the exam- one of the examples they talk about is um, Lev from The Last of Us 2. It's so really tragic. Yes, this is what they talk about. Yeah. Like as a as a transmasculine character, um, you know, there's this kind of like oh, like The Last of Us feature is has diverse stories, mm. but they note that you only see Lev through Abby's perspective. You don't actually, you don't actually get to know Lev's mm. uh, internal kind of like mm. self in the same way as you do some of the other characters. It is interesting. Cause I remember playing it and being like, God, this is awful. Yeah, because the it's like a cult situation yeah. and. Mm-hmm. I guess being born physically female, mm-hmm. supposed to marry someone, and there's all this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really tragic and mm-hmm. really like, I mean, the whole bloody game is uncomfortable, right? Yes. Like yeah. every moment of that game, yeah. I was dying a bit inside. But, and yeah, because I remember like hanging on to everything Lev yeah. said to be like, what's the story here? What's, like, what's, well, yeah, yeah, how are you going? What's going on? And yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm like, yeah, maybe it was hanging on to everything he said because of that. Like yeah. it's kind of trying to get a grip on yeah. what, yeah. I think um I, th- I think like th- this is only a brief like part of this article. They don't like speak mm. about it loads, but like they 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 do kind of express that there is there is a difference and it sometimes a discomfort as you mm. kind of articulate when a story like that is told like voyeuristically and I'm not sure okay. if that's quite the right word. That's not the word they use, but I I, I feel like that's the feeling I mm. sometimes have when um, queer stories are in games, mm. but they're not, they're not really, they're kind of written as, <laughs> like, background uh, Yeah, sure. Stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I, I thought, given what we're talking about the stuff, that's stuff that I'm really interested in. Mm. wanted to mention it because it alludes to the complexity of, of a gaming lifestyle, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I've ordered the exhibition catalogue. I can't go to the exhibition because <laughs> it's in Melbourne um, and I'm not going there anytime soon, so it'll be finished by the time I get back there. But if you are in Melbourne, please go, go and see it. tell us how it yeah. is um, and I will read the catalogue when it arrives. Um, yeah. Yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, honestly, that's you could go on forever. Yeah. We could. <laughs> so. we could. And we do, outside of this <laughs> So we should probably wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring it to a close. We might come back to this topic, I think. Oh, yeah, there's always um, more. Yeah, because I feel like we've, we've, we've scratched the surface a little bit, mm. and there's so many other dimensions to talking about this stuff. Um, Absolutely. But otherwise, we will wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. Thank if you. If you come all this way. Uh, and, yeah, we will see you and speak to you next time. See ya. Bye. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can support us through Buy Me A Coffee. If you go to meaningfulplaypodcast.wordpress.com, you can find the link there. Thanks.